Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Back to Basics program with Rabbi Liel Shalom. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about Torah Shabbal Peh. God gave us the Torah. It says what we need to do, but it doesn't explain how to do it. For example, Shabbos. God tells us that we need to keep Shabbos, Shama Verzacharis Yom HaShabbos Lakacho, but that's it. He doesn't say how to keep Shabbos. That is only in Torah Shabbal Peh, the oral Torah. Why is that? Why couldn't God in the Torah write what we need to do and how to do it? We are going to dive deep into that on today's episode. I'm Israel Yudkowski. You are listening to the Foundations Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Back to Basics program. We are back. We're back. We are back. And we are going to be talking about Torah Shabbal Peh. So, Rabbiel, take it away. Okay, thank you very much. And another beautiful, wonderful episode. You're all our wonderful listeners, and it's great to be here with you. Um. So today, like you said, we're going to talk about Torah Shabbal Peh, the oral Torah, right? The Torah that was not written. Uh, because everything we spoke till now, I mean, it's direct, uh, this is directly connected to the previous episodes, the three previous episodes that we spoke about Harsinai. And there's one thing that is worldwide famous. Everyone has it. Everyone knows about it is what they call the Bible, right? Or the five books of Moses, or what we call Chamisha Chum right? Bereish Yishmos, Vayikra Bamidbar Devar, right? We're actually starting now. Today's date is Erev Shabbos. We're starting Shmos, a new Chumash. Um, so we're going to talk about the part of the Torah that was not written. And we need to find out a few things about it, okay? Um, first of all, a, a question for really, I'm sure you're going to have this question, but I, I don't want to answer it now straightforward at the beginning. But this is a question that definitely you're going to have as we go deeper in this episode, is why part was written and why part was uh, given Balpe, okay? So I'll answer that at the end. But we're really what we need to deal now. Uh, there's two parts to Torah Shabbat. Okay, two questions over here. Two very difficult things to deal with, and we're going to see once we get to the answer, will be a tremendous joy and simcha and kiddush Hashem. Okay. Um. So problem number one is, who said that there is a Torah Shabbat? Um. A lot of, uh, you know, most of the world, even the people that do believe that we receive the Torah in Harasinai, such as the Christians and Muslims, um, they seem to obviously argue with us about the Torah Shabbat Peh. Within Judaism, unfortunately, we had groups such as the Tzedukim and the Baitusim that went against the oral Torah and just wanted to accept the written Torah, but they didn't, did not want to accept the oral Torah, okay? So how can we show, how can we clearly show and prove um, 
that there is a Torah Shabbat that actually the Torah, there was an oral Torah given to Moshe Rabbeinu in Har Sinai that was passed down till today, okay? That will be one thing to deal with. The second thing is, okay, so fine, you showed me, you proved that there is, there must be a Torah Shabbat Who said it was passed down accurately? Who said it didn't have the broken telephone problem? Sorrel, you ever played broken telephone? Yep. So we all play the broken telephone. Now, the way, you know, if we would have a few, when I give it a sheer, when I give a sheer on this, I like to play the broken telephone just to demonstrate how, you know, what a big problem, the big problem of passing information down. You sit a group just, just in case if someone around the world does not know what a broken telephone game is, you sit the group of like 10, 20 kids, you know, as more more the better, right? If I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly. And you say something uh, funny. Um, you know, Yisrael has the, the best podcast in the world and he is such a nice guy, right? You say that line to, and you whisper it to your friend next to you and he tries to pass down this information from one to another. What happens, usually a word here, word there gets slipped during the passing of the of that line. And um, eventually when you come back to the original guy, the last guy in the line needs to say, what did he hear? And usually it's like Yisrael uh, jumped on a trampoline and flew into uh, into a wall. You know, <laughs> it, would be, it would be something completely different, completely off. And that's the broken telephone. And the problem, and, and so uh, what, what people want to argue with us about the oral Torah is like you guys have the Gemara, the Mishnahis, and all this information that's passed down for the last 3,332 years, how did it not totally get messed up? How did it, you like, you should be so far away, especially with such a vast amount of information. It, sh- it should be totally off. How do you know it's still accurate? And those were the words that Moshe Rabbeinu said. Okay, so the shear will be split into these two things. First of all, showing that there is a Torah Shabbat Peh, and how do we know that it's accurate? Well, so the first question, the Torah Shabbat we heard God speaking to us, right? He spoke, and then, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu Only the, the first rest. two. Right, only, only the, the first, first two, two, and then Moshe Rabbeinu the more, just spoke, like, because we, but like, God, like, we, we right. got it from God. Right. But Torah Shabbat Peh, it was just Moshe Rabbeinu was like, oh, this is what I got from God, and here is it. So then we go back to the same question that we asked, you know, the Harsinai episodes, which is zero credibility. Like, who, who said? Right. Like, so, it's just a person telling us. Oh, something. so you're asking a different question. You're asking, how do we give the credibility on the Torah Shabbat Peh um, if it came from Moshe Rabbeinu? So that that we answered then. I didn't. We didn't really focus on it so much. Sorry. Um, and we didn't focus so much, but the 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 answer on that is that Moshe Rabbeinu kind of got smicha from Hashem. What I mean is Moshe Rabbeinu was called to come ale elayahara. It says in the pasuk, in front of everyone, Hashem called Moshe Rabbeinu to go up to the mountain, and he was the only one that had the permission to go up the mountain. And that was witnessed by everyone, by the three million. Okay, so besides the the whole entire experience 
that the whole that three million close to three million people were witnessing was Hashem calling Moshe Rabbeinu Aleihahara, come up to me the mountain, I'll give you the rest of the Torah. Okay, so that's what we are basing it on. We don't believe Moshe Rabbeinu. No, 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 that's zero credibility. I don't believe Moshe Rabbeinu. Meaning, what I mean is, Vayaminu Bash. It says in the pasuk, Vayaminu Bahashem Ube Moshe Avdo. This is another quote of another pasuk. We can say a lot of there's a lot of pasukim around what I'm saying. Okay, and you open Chumash Shmo, Parshas Yisro, you know, coming up soon, and you can open. You know, in Devarim and Vaischanon, where it's talking of it, again, uh, going over again, uh, concluding the story of Har Sinai, you see clearly from all the Psukim that the only reason why we believe Moshe Rabbeinu is because Hashem called him up to to the mountain, and that's the pasuk I just quoted. Vayaminu, and they believed in Hashem and Moses, his his servant, and Moshe Avdo. Okay, meaning I only believe Moshe because I believe Hashem. And, and Moshe. But why can't you say, right, we heard God calling Moshe Elihahara. Right. But how do we know after when Moshe came down, he passed down what God actually told him? Because we didn't hear what God told Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, you, you don't trust him. Do you trust God? Yeah. If you trust God, and God trusts Moshe. So you can trust Moshe because God trusts Moshe. Mm. It's built on trust. It's like if God would know on that God. he would lie and make stuff up, then then God he, wouldn't choose him. He wouldn't choose him. Mm-hmm. The f- that's the proof. The proof is that he, and he was called by God. Mm-hmm. And that I witnessed. I didn't see Lahavdil, Lahavdil bin Atamalatar. I didn't see God calling Muhammad or or Paul, right? Lahavdil and Atamalatar, right? I didn't see that. They came, the humans, with their mouth, and they told me, God called me, God told me, okay? Over here, I see, eyewitness, I don't believe anyone else. I'm not basing it on anyone. I saw God, meaning the, the three million people, and that you need to go back to Arsina to see how the proof stands. But I saw Hashem calling Moshe Rabbeinu, and that's why I believe Moshe. Not because Moshe told me. And throughout the, you ever, you ever saw the Pasuk in Chumash, Vaidaber Hashem al Moshe Lamor? And everyone knows this Pasuk, right? It's like the one Pasuk, What's the next Pasuk you know about? Right? What does it mean? Vaidaber Hashem. And Hashem spoke. To Moshe to speak. Moshe is not speaking over here. As Hashem spe- is speaking through his throat. Mm-hmm. That's how we view it. That's how we view our Nevi'im. In general. We don't believe in humans. That's of a Zara. We believe in God. And only God. And the one God. And his servants. Meaning, his servants are just bringing us his word. So basically, we only believe in God. We don't believe in humans. We don't bow down to humans. That's that's why, that's the biggest problem we have with Christianity besides other problems of kfira, right? Of the Trinity and other issues in Imuna, that it's that it's kfira. There's a whole machlokas, you know, 
if it's complete Avadazara, close to Avadazara, uh, what, what's it, or just Kfira, it's different, um, you know, halachically, I don't want to, you know, go into it. But, um, but uh, the, one of the biggest problems is that they're idolizing a human. They're making a human a god, okay? And we don't believe in humans as almighties or powers. Chas v'shalom, that's kfira. We only believe in the one god. Go back to episode on, what is it, number one, right? Defining god. And, and, and that's what we, uh, we serve and believe, uh, nothing else. If someone comes and tells me otherwise, right, I won't take it. I only believe Moshe Rabbeinu and all the Matike Hashmur, the people that, that brought down the information, one after another, we're going to see it. at the end of this year, it's going to be a lot more clear. Why is it all accurate? And we know that it's accurate, so we're going to understand that better, right? But generally speaking, we only believe in God, okay? And we only believe in Moshe Rabbeinu because God called him. And I saw that he was appointed, he was, you know, God called him and uh, gave him the permission to give over the, the rest of the Torah. Okay? So back to our two questions now that we need to deal with is how do we know that there is a Torah belt? But how today you can show someone, you know, especially to people that, you know, that argue with us or don't believe in the Torah, how can you show and demonstrate to them clearly that there must be an oral Torah? And the second one, how do we know it's accurate? Okay, so here we go. So let's start with the first question. First question, how do we know that there is a Torah Shabalpeh? The answer is there must be a Torah Shabalpeh. Why? How can I say that? So you take the Chamisha Chumsha Torah and start with the first Pasuk, okay? Bereshis, Baralokim, Esa Shemaim, Okay, let's try to understand this Bereshis at the beginning right at the beginning of Bereshit at the beginning of what of what the world the world right or the time or existence say something Bereshis and then oh God created the world and the heaven there's a grammatical problem over here, right? It should have said at the beginning of the world, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, at the beginning of time, at the beginning of something. But you can't say at the beginning, God created, uh, you know, uh, the, the heaven and earth. So that's one of thousands of examples in Chumash that there are grammatical problems. And... Pasuk after Pasuk, you're going to find so many grammatical problems that just don't make sense. Unless, unless you say that they were purposely put in there, right, to tell us something else, okay? There's actually a book that went and pointed out all of those grammatical problems, and then he referenced the Torah Shabbat, the Oral Torah, on each one of those points, and like he did a beautiful piece of work. It's called Chumash with Rashi. That's what Rashi does. Rashi, if you read Rashi, he's busy, especially in Bereshis, it's crazy. He's busy all the time telling you, showing you the grammatical problem, error, quote unquote, right? And 
what is it referring to? Okay, he goes to the Midrashim, he goes to the Torah, the oral Torah, and he points out, well, the the Pasuk, when this said this way, this this way or this word over here to bring out that point, to show you that point. Okay, so number one is you're going to find all over Chumash grammatical problems. Okay, so, and I'm going to say this on each one of these ways of, of showing the, the, the Torah Shabbat that you have always two ways to, to, to decide, okay? I had this with, with people that are totally not observant, and I, I was telling them, okay, so this whole shear is obviously based on that Harsina actually happened, right? Go back to three, three episodes. If Harsina happened and God gave us the five books of Moses, so if it's full of grammatical problems, right? So God gave us the most messed up book in, in history, right? I can't do anything with it. It's full of grammatical problems. So that's so if you want to say that God get, God came all the way and with this biggest event in the world, the Harsina event, right? And he gives us what? A messed up book. So you think God would do such a thing? If you want to say so, you know, that's kind of your problem. Or you will choose to say that God put it on purpose to, sh- to reference the Torah Shabbat okay, the oral Torah. And that's what, the way we're going to go. So number one is the grammatical errors. Number two is the Nikud. How do you read it? Just like you say when you have the famous, the most famous example is, uh, that everyone loves quoting, is Lotevashel Gdi Be Chalev. Chalev or Chalev or Chalav or Chulav. You have so many options over there, right? Because you don't have the nikud. Um, in right, you're look in any sefer Torah in the world. It does not come with the dots. Doesn't have any dots. So how do you know how to read it? And if you don't have the dots, it could completely, in many cases in the Torah, many cases in the Torah, it can change the meaning completely to something else. So the, the Torah is malleable. You can just stretch it to everywhere you want, right? So you're going to get so messed up again. Unfortunately, some people do that. Yeah, we're going to talk about that later. But um, there, obviously with, without Nikud, so you're going to say, you shouldn't cook a calf in maybe fat, maybe chalavimo, in the, in the fat of its mother or something like that, right? So how do you know it's milk? Chalav. Chalav. Right, and so on. You're gonna to go to hundreds of examples in the, in the Chumash that you, if you don't have the Nikud, you can. You're totally lost. So again, you see the same idea. That's the second way in the Torah, either to say like this whole book is I don't know. I don't know how to read it. I have no way to read so it. Why didn't God just give it to us with Nikud? Oh, again, why? You remember I told you at the beginning of the episode. Why did God split it? Part is written and the rest is all oral. That will come at the end. Sorry for keeping you. Um, anyways, so um, that's way number two. Now, number three is in the Torah itself. There's many, many psukim, okay? You, there's people that did like beautiful work on this. You can find that, you know, went into details into all these examples. Uh, but in the Torah, there is reference to... Um, to something, to so like a, an image or a picture, like 
Uh, like Hashem tells, for example, Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to do uh, the menorah kazeh, like I showed you. Like I showed you, like I don't have that picture. My Chumash doesn't come with pictures, right? Did your, does your Sefer Torah have a picture? Pictures in it to show and demonstrate in the base. I mean, there's so many references. Art scrolls probably. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, there are so many references in the Torah um, to something like I showed you. By Shechita, we see it. Hashem tells it like, uh, uh, like I showed you. Like, like I showed you? I don't have that. I don't have that picture. It doesn't. I don't have that picture. My my the Chumash never came with. I never with got an email. <laughs> exactly. Why? Because you see, there must be a, a, a the Torah itself is referencing an oral uh, um, way to understand well, something. Yeah. Okay, if it's visual or something like that. Okay, so that's number three. Number four, where you know it gets a lot of fun over here in this example, the Torah. The written Torah is loaded with examples that you cannot understand it. For example, um, Kiddushin, uh, marriage. How do you get married according to the Torah? Like when Hashem came to Moshe Rabbeinu, He told him, Ki yikach isha. Now the Torah is talking all over about marriage, right? When you're married, you're obligated, you need to give your wife, Eric, Sus, and Ona. You have, she has this rights and everything, and you you, you know, tons of information about marriage, yet, um, how do you get married? According to the Torah, it says, when a man took a woman. What do you mean? So if you, if you hold her hand, you take her, you're married to her, the Torah does not mention how to get married. It's talking all about marriage, doesn't tell you how to get married. The same thing with, if we're on the same topic uh, about divorce, the Torah says, Venosan la sefer krisus biyada. And he should give her, how do you get divorced? He gives her the book of cuttings. The book, sefer kritut, a book that cuts, I don't know, it's a, it's a sharp, like she, if she gets a paper cut, I think. Then you're divorced. <laughs> how does it work? The, and the Torah is talking all about the divorce. And the obligation, how much you owe, da da da. If, if a woman is divorced, this, that, and yet it doesn't tell you how to get divorced. Okay? Um, and, and we can go on and on and on and on. It won't end. Okay? Uh, there's so many examples like that. Another very good one is the Torah is talking so many times about a convert, a person that converts into Judaism, right? A gear, how much we need to treat him well how much you need to respect him, accept him, right? So the Torah is extensively talking. I think someone counted, like, I, th- I don't remember the number. Maybe it's 39? Could be 39 times that the Torah is, me- Torah is mentioning, tens of times the, the Torah is mentioning a ger. Um, How do you convert to Judaism? How do you convert to Judaism? It doesn't say. It doesn't say oh, how to do it. Maybe if the guy says, amen, hallelujah, and he becomes Jewish. Or, I don't know, if he just jumps three times and knocks his head on the wall uh, four times, he is converted. It doesn't say that, that's anything. That's the nanach <laughs> It doesn't say it anywhere. You understand? It says to keep the Shabbos. How in the world do I keep the Shabbos? It says, uh, all right, v'sham Rubene Yisrael is a Shabbos. How do you keep Shabbos? 
right? It doesn't tell me how to keep it. It tells me I, I must keep I need, it. Do I need to keep it in my wallet or in the safe? <laughs> yeah. You're going to have so many questions over there. Endless. Um, it says on Sukkis, And it says to take the fruit. Maybe you take an orange, maybe a lemon, maybe an esrog. I don't know. But it doesn't say, it says pre-etzadar. And you're going to go on and on and on. And this is the biggest, um, obviously, way to show that there the must be a Torah Shabbat Okay? You see from in the book, so again, we're going to repeat. First of all, all the grammatical problems. Second of all, the nikud, you don't have the vowels. By the way, the nikud that we have, by the way, I have to mention this, comes from Muslims. The Muslims have the had a problem of of nikud, and we kind of designed it with them kind of around the same time. We're talking about only like sixteen hundred years ago that the nikud it looks the way it looked. Before that, it was all balpe. We only knew how to say only because my father told me, my rebbe told me, a rebbe's rebbe told me, and it was passed down orally. The whole nikud had to say it. The dots that we have today is 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 relatively a modern thing, only a thousand six six hundred uh, years that we 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 joined we got it from the Muslims, you know some a lot of the like, you know we, chapters we they got they actually wrote it we just we adopted no it we or? adopted the shita the shita we how to use the, the idea of dots mm-hmm. right it kind of ah, got right, developed yeah, right and uh, Arabs see, like, also Arabs have, have these they dots. have like dots on top and on yep. bottom. Yep, they had a problem of of nikud of of vowels, so uh, we kind of uh, hopped on on their system, um, but we only brought it down to the nikud based on the oral Torah on what was passed down from generation to generation. Now, um, by the way, also the prokim, the prokim that we have in Chumash, not in the Torah. In the Torah, the way it's broken down is parsha stuma, parsha ptucha, right? There's different gaps that you have between it, the way you write it. Um, the Perak Aleph Beis Gimel Dalid is is Christian, by the way. Prokim Psukim also or Psukim were no Psukim were were always there. The Prokim I'm taking the way it's divided into chapters. Mm-hmm. Chapter Aleph Beis Gimel that you find in the Chumash, in the Torah, in the Chumash you don't have in the Sefer Torah you don't have any Prokim. Where it says, you know, Perik Aleph, Perik Pes, there's nothing there, right? That that was but, but Christian. How, they how wanted do you know to make Sukkim. How do you know? Like, I guess it's you also Suk- have that. The Sukkim same thing. The same Psukim thing. vowels. You, open a Torah, you don't have a small Aleph and then a small base, but it's right. Pasuk. It's right. just continuation. Right. As a side point, also, we even have Trup. The. Today it's different between Sfari and Ashkenazi. Again, I'm going to explain also how do we come to the difference between Sfari and Ashkenazi. That's all the way at the end. We're going to explain Machlokis. But um, um, yes, all these things were 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 all Balpeh. Today they're all written down, just like the Gemara is also written down. Gemara also was Balpeh. Mishnah was also Balpeh. Everything got written down because we went into Golis 2,000 years ago. Okay, so number three, we said in the Torah, we have tons of references to something oral, an image, like I showed you, like you saw, like you saw, I didn't see, like, so you see the Torah is referring to something about him. And number four is you have no way to do 
the Torah, to Mekayim the Torah, without an oral instructive instructions how to do it, okay? You need to have instructions how to use the written Torah. So basically, the Torah Shabal Peh, is, that brings us to the conclusion that the Torah Shabal Peh was designed to tell you how to use the Torah Shabal Okay, the original Torah Shabal Peh, again, the Torah Shabal Peh is broken into many things. For instance, I'm not talking about the Durabanans that were added later on, the Gedarim, the fences that were put around, you know, such as Muktzah. Muktzah was later on, by the time of Yeshaya Hanavi, he saw that people were were carrying their shovels before shop because you were allowed to touch muktza. According to the Torah, you can touch a shovel, you can touch the phone, just turn, don't turn it on, right? Yeshaya Hanavi saw by that that people eventually, uh, he saw it happening in generation, and he was able to to see further that at the end, it's people will disgrace the Shabbos because of that and, and lose their covered Shabbos. So what he did he made this takana, this gather of this fence, not even to touch muktza, right? You were just not allowed to bang the ha- uh, nail with the hammer, right? Uh, build with the hammer. But today he added that you're not even t- allowed to touch the hammer, okay? So I'm not talking about that. When I say Torah Shabbat Peh, it's even before the Darabanans and the things that were added on later on for different purposes. We're talking about the original Torah Shabbat Peh is all the information, the rest of the Torah, tons and tons of endless of information on basically how to use the Chumash. When the Chumash said so, what's behind it, how to do it, how to use it, wh- what do we do? Such as the examples that we brought, uh, you know, uh, converting and, and Kiddushin and which fruit and how to keep the Shabbos. All that, that's the Torah Shabbat Peh. People like are all over when we talk about Torah Shabbat Peh. Wait, you talking about uh, uh, wearing a hat and jacket? <laughs> We're talking about the original information, how to use the Torah. Um, I'll tell you, before we move on, I'll just tell you a little story I used to teach in Birkas Torah. In Yeshiva Birkas Torah, they once had this guy over. He was a, a convert. And he came to speak in the yeshiva. He's he's a um, he's a trainer, professional trainer. He goes around the world uh, for a hockey. I think he used to he used to hmm. train. He's a professional trainer in hockey. He was from some some forgotten place in Canada. Canada, yeah, somewhere. Yeah. I think. I'm sorry, I don't remember all the details. This was many years ago. And he basically he came. He was telling a beautiful shear about like comparing sports and and. And and motivation in the Torah, beautiful speech. But then he told us about his life a little bit, and he was saying that his father, which was you know totally uh, not familiar with Judaism, but his father told him that he should read the Bible and he should do whatever the Bible tells him to do. And Ephraim took it seriously, and he started. As a guy, and he didn't, he wasn't even close to any Jewish community, so he never like like was really, you know, uh, was able to observe observing Jews, uh, observant Jews. And he t- he went on in this long description of how he kept the Torah based on like he read the Bible and did it. So he would do all kinds of funny things, like it it was entertaining, like he was saying, uh, like he would wear. It says to wear blue fringes, right? So he put strings on his clothes all over, 
right? Or he, on Sukkot, he would build like a hut. Um, because it says, but Sukkot, in the Sukkot, for seven days, during the season, during the fall, he would sit, you know, not in exactly this. And he went on and on and on. And how did he keep the Shabbos and all these funny episodes of like his interpretation of like what the Pusik says. And obviously he was so, so far away. And like you said, with the example of Shabbos, um, it was kind of funny till he, he found uh, observant Jews and he started understanding that there is. Oh, that's what it means. Exactly. That there's actually a way there's more to the Torah. There's more information. Just it's oral. It's just not written. But it can't be that you're going to just rely on the written because the written is the four ways that we said. It's also not uh, for all the reasons we said. It's not possible to uh, just go by the text. The, the, like he put tefillin like on his nose because it says Necha. He didn't know what to tefot. tefot it doesn't say to put on tefillin. Tefot. So he like phylacteries, phylacteries, phylacteries. But obviously, um, you know, uh, we're not going to go into uh, deep into why. How do people end up like that? Why do people have a hard time? Um, they want to do the Torah Bel Pit now. Okay, let's start from here. Now, important to 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 say that if the written Torah is pointing, like we said in four ways, it's pointing to an oral Torah. So let's look around the world. Who claims, at least, or says he has the oral Torah that we that must be the Torah is referencing? Who has an oral Torah? Anyone in the world claims for an oral Torah? No. Absolutely no one, right? In fact, most of them are in de- denying the oral Torah, right? So for you to read... And they're probably, I mean, like like we mentioned, they're between four and 10,000 religions. There probably are some that do, no. but no major ones, at no. least. No, no one says he has the Bible's oral Torah. Ah, the Bible's oral Torah. Yeah, that's what oh. I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Does anyone no. claim that they that they have the Bible's oral Torah? No, that that yeah, that probably we're the only exist. people walking around the planet saying, "Hey, hey, what it says the Bible." Like everyone is talking about the Bible, right? I think it's the most popular book in the world. Uh, the Bible, yep. uh, no, uh, it actually is referring to Tarshabal Peh, right? We're the only ones. Okay, so now after you see that the book must have an oral Torah, how do we know it's passed down accurately? Hey everyone, I'm interrupting this wonderful conversation to let you know about a fantastic, one-of-a-kind book that Artskol has recently published titled On the Shoulders of Giants. Rabbi Shmuel Bloom, who was involved in leadership positions in Agadis Yisrael for over five decades, takes us behind the scenes to gain a unique understanding of Das Torah in all its glory. Rabbi Bloom met with Gedoli Yisrael at Moetz's Gedoli HaTorah and in quiet, urgent conferences. He chatted with them in cars and on Shabbos afternoons at conventions. He shares with us stories, many of them not widely known, of generations of greatness. From the Chafetz Chaim to Rev. Aaron Cutler and Reb Meisha Feinstein, from the Ger Rebbes and Reb Aaron Lane Steinman to Rev. Dun Segal and dozens and dozens more. We also meet the Jewish people's Askanim. We are amazed by first-handed stories of Mike Tress and, of course, the incomparable Reb Meisha Sher in his 
his years in Agoda, Rabbi Bloom also met with the highest echelons of the U.S. government, and he shares his behind-the-scenes understanding of great political events and movements. It is a book you definitely should not miss. Get a copy today at archgirl.com, Amazon, or at your local Jewish bookstore. On the Shoulders of Giants by Rabbi Shmuel Bloom. Get your copy today. I would also like to let you know that every few weeks throughout the Back to Basics program, we are going to have a Q&A with Rabbi Liel Shalom. So if you have any questions or just want to get a little bit more clarity, send us your question to jewishfoundations at gmail.com. That is jewishfoundations at gmail.com. Every Q&A, we are going to give away one free copy of the amazing book On the Shoulders of Giants. So send us your question to jewishfoundations at gmail.com for a chance to win the amazing book On the Shoulders of Giants. And now, let's get back to the show. On the written Torah, no one has any doubts about its accuracy. You know why? It's proven itself. It's something incredible. And today, in, in like since 1948 and on, more than any time in history, that the written Torah, Chamisha Chamisha Torah, uh, is, 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 you don't have a better word than a miracle um, on the, uh, the authenticity how it's stayed accurate. Why? You had Jews from all around the world, literally, right? From Iraq to Hungary, from Poland to Yemen, from Morocco to Russia, from... uh, Just name it. Name it. All around um, the world, coming back to Israel, right? In 1948, when Jews started pouring back into Eretz Yisrael. And um, they all came with Sefer Taurus that they held for the last 2,000 years in exile. Okay? The Yemenites came with their Sefer Torah. The, the Sephardim from different countries came with their Sefer Torah. The Europeans came with their Sefer Torah. Right? They all came with Sefer Torahs. And guess what? They all had the same Sefer Torah. They all had the same Sefer Torah. Um, there, there are nine differences, and believe it or not, those nine, if you dive into there's someone from Arachim, he was a speaker in Arachim, that he brought all the differences between the different Sefer Torahs that came. Those nine differences, eight out of those nines were, um, were Kri and Ksiv problems. What is Kri and Ksiv? In the Torah, some things are written in a certain way, but we pronounce them. Uh, drop differently. Why? I'm not going to go into it. It's a whole <laughs> sheer on its own, the Kri and the Ksiv. But there are some words that you find that it's written in one way, but we read it orally. We were instructed all the way from Moshe Rabbeinu to read it differently, okay? So the not, the eight out of those nine differences in the Sefer Torah were the Kri Ksiv. Okay, so, so you understand the why Torah. the problem. The Torah says the same thing. Yeah, it didn't just, change the meaning. It didn't change anything. Just you say, oh, you read it like this, and we say, you oh. You say it like that, know, or you say it like that, you read it that, and it's an understandable error that will happen. Yeah. Right? Especially also just different languages. You have different accents, and, you know, so it's automatically going it to be sounding a little s- different. Right. So, uh, you know, it got a bit. Right, and miraculously only on those. Okay, on the understandable yeah. ones. Well, but it was very easy to correct it, right? Because you look at them at most of them because only a few of them had it. 
Okay. But they were written like the same letters. Yeah. The same letters. Ah, they, they just, just say, oh, read it wrong read, or uh... they wrote the way it's read. You understand? Mm. By mis- and I, c- I can trace down that mistake because I know they wrote it the way it was supposed to be read. So quickly I corrected it. Okay. And it was only a few cifratar. Okay. Well, it's like they found different. From different places. I don't know all the details exactly. But like, was there, let's say, one place, let's say, uh, from, let's say, Hungary. So like every Sefer Torah in Hungary had the same mistake or is just there were nine Sefer Torah total that they found that each one of them was a mistake? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember all the details, but I know that we don't have that problem now, right? Because let's say it came from one country. Right or some of the sefer in one country, it was an understandable problem. It's not a real problem, okay? And uh, I can I can obviously track it down. Um, and the ninth different was uh, an extra vav, um, an extra vav that the Yemenite sefer came with. Again, so it didn't change the word, okay? But it's just ktiv malektiv chaser, like no, 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 they added a vav. And I think it was somewhere in Parshas Noach. Um, sorry, it's not fresh on me now. But um, um, somewhere in Parshas Noach, they added a vav, which didn't really change anything in the meaning. Basically, all the Sefer Torah came the same as far as meaning, as far as halacha, as far as the the meaning of the pasuk itself. And I so basically, it came out. It came clear there were no real contradictions and and just to say oh like other nations this is like no look at christianity i think today there's like 1500 versions of the new testament oh i was about to say number like that right like i mean no i was about to say this of course in the same the same rabbi that brought from arachim that brought all these numbers that did the research um he he wanted just for the sake of you know comparison he said by the christians we're talking about, we're talking about fifty thousand, close to fifty thousand differences in text, right over here. It says it this way, that way, but you know, just differences in text. We're we're talking about close to fifty thousand differences in beliefs. Meaning, over here it says that he was the son of this guy. Over there it says that he lived in that city or that city. Close to like seven thousand. We're talking about uh, differences, and. We're talking close to fifty, close to fifty differences in like the basic their basic faith. Do you believe that he was the descendant of King David or from the mother or from the like on their basic beliefs, right? On the most fundamental beliefs by them, there we're talking about close to fifty differences in the basic belief. Okay, that's how, um, it, and it's obviously because the 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 broken telephone. Okay. It's obvious. The miracle by, again, so we're only, I only was talking about the written Torah. So the written Torah, there's, I don't think there's, there's anyone serious around the world, um, especially after we demonstrated coming back in 1948 and on with all these Torahs from different places, the accuracy of the written Torah. That, I don't, you don't find anyone serious questioning that. And we have the Dead Sea later on. They found Dead Sea Scrolls, which, Proved it without any doubt. Again, differences in style of writing and the letters, they were always, we hope we ourselves had different, it yeah, changed, I mean, even it changed by us. Today, there's uh, Sephardim, Ashkenazim, different stuff. So like, right. the is different and, you know, the way the letters look 
Are right, it changed also among us. Change. Also, ah. there were different periods in Judaism that we recognized that changed, mm-hmm. and for different reasons, different where we were when we were, different things that influenced it. But it never changed the, the actual meaning, the, actual the text words. exactly, and that's what matters. Yeah, right. That's what really mattered. Now, I'm not telling you that there were a lot of problems since we were in exile. It's not that our it was not challenged. We were challenged many times. And we had problems, but those problems were tracked down. And I know, if as long as I know where the problem came from, right, and why there is a mistake over here, and I know the source of it is because, you know, it was censored. Let's say uh, later on in the Gemara, some parts were censored by the, by the Christians, right, by the church. They were censoring our Gemara wherever they didn't like our stuff, right? And so if you have a steer in the Gemara from here and there, and I tracked down and I said, you well, that's, that was censored, that, that was changed. So although I have like kind of a contradiction, but I know why, what's, that, what's the source of that error? You understand? So we can track down also of our errors. And, um, but again, on the written Torah, look at this. This is a, a living miracle uh, without any doubt. Anyone, anyone that wants to go and see the Sifra Torah, how they were kept uh, uh, accurate is is just mind blowing. It's it's a miracle. It's it's a, such a known miracle that even people are not like so excited from it. It's so it's so out there. Okay, that's on the written Torah. But how do we know on the Torah Shabbat? Okay. So again, the Torah Shabbat, the the words that were given to Moshe Rabbeinu. How do I know today the words that I heard now that Hashem told Moshe is accurate and it was not messed up down the line? So. We're going to go into this beautiful experiment that Rabbi Kellerman did. He wanted to experiment the way that the Torah had to keep um, information being passed down accurately. How do you do that? He There was a group of NCSY um, in America. They were having a Shabbaton or something. And Rabbi Kelman spoke with the people over there, and he told them, I want to run this experiment with them. They said, great. So these are younger kids, right? Um, you know, they came to have a lot of fun and maybe a little bit of, you know, hearing some um, nice stuff. But basically, they came to this hotel, and their counselors instructed them to come down to the dining room. They're going to have some activity. Rabbi Kelman was waiting there on the side. He's ready to run his experiment on the Torah Shabbal Peh, on the accuracy of the Torah Shabbal Peh. What was the experiment? He's going to play the broken telephone with them, with the whole group. So there were a large group. I don't know how many people there were there, but we were talking about a very large group. And he lined them up, I think, if I remember, like in lines of 12, let's say 12 lines, okay? And in every line, there's like 10 kids, okay? I'm just making more or less a number. It doesn't really matter. So he makes these lines and he gave out this. And so they told everyone, okay, we're going to play the broken telephone in, a, in, a, in, in, in these groups. So they're all, so Rabbi Kelman gives this line. Um, I think it was like the, 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 the black dog had blue eyes and jumped in the green lake and came out with red ears. As complicated uh, as it gets. <laughs> so he, he did like not something crazy, but something like confusing maybe. And he gives it over and obviously they're passing those 12 lines of 10, just imagine 12 lines of people 
of every line is 10 people and he's passing down. Then he collected the results from the last kids, from the last 12 in the line, right? And to, to, to see what came out. And as Rabbi Kellerman says, 100% garbage. <laughs> Nothing. It was 0% uh, accurate. Nothing, right? Like the good broken telephone game. Good. And, and also, I'm sure each one of the 12 was completely different from the other. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Right. Makes sense, right? It's not like all of them, can get... or even some of them, changed into the same story. They probably changed uh, one of them about uh, eating shawarma in a pizza store, and the other <laughs> one about uh, playing football, and the other one about uh, coffee. Uh, just, just right, right, exactly. Like in twelve different directions, even you're saying, right? Definitely. Maybe they had dog in there or blue in there. Um, but the different ways they said that, yeah, was was totally off. Okay, so they're about to move away, and then Rabbi Kelman, uh, as as instructed, they he tells them, "Okay, we're gonna play the game again." It's like everyone, nah, that's boring, no. And he pulled out, he got a donor to donate, I think, like whatever, twelve hundred dollars, whatever the number was, and he says every group is gonna get a hundred dollars if they get it right. A group that gets it right. He's going to give them $100. Basically, if you put in an incentive of, of money, let's see what happens. So they got it all excited. And Rabbi Kellerman says they were sitting there. It's not what I said. He heard like kids on the floor. It's not what I said. I meant this. And, they're, and now they're really nervous and they're passing down the information a lot more carefully. Why? Because they had an incentive. So what changed over here? How much? How, what do you Purpose. think the results were? So I don't remember the exact numbers. Forgive me, but um, the the numbers went up really high. I think it went up to like sixty percent, fifty, sixty. Well, like a few of them got it right. That a few of them got it right, and I'm sure also the ones that didn't get it right. At least it was much closer. Much closer. He did the percentage basically. He did like the mm -hmm. uh, Rabbi Kellerman is a pro. He did the percentage that it was like really. It really got higher. Incredible. Beautiful. Then he wanted to continue on this experiment. He couldn't because there were kids. And it's just, it wouldn't work to go on and on. This experiment has a continuation. Make a long story short, Short. a while later, he got an opportunity. There, was a, there were seminary girls from seminary girls coming to, I think they came to Israel because Rabbi Kelman, I think, worked in Nevei. Maybe it was part of Nevei. I don't know. And um, they came to Israel. And Rabbi Kelman arranged to continue this experiment, uh, but to do it to its full potential. And finally, he had this opportunity to do it with this large group of from girls, right? And there was a huge audience of secular girls that came to watch this. And they were told that they're going to see uh, a demonstration of the Torah Baal Peh being, being passed down accurate. What, what did he do, Rabbi Kelman? He first gave them an incentive. Okay, so it would be the same idea. It was like 12 groups of, of these girls. And each one was, was, so he first of all had an incentive. I think he gave like ice cream, katsafet or something oh, like katsafet? that. Oh, katsafet, okay. Katsafet. Seminary girls, katsafet ice cream, you katsafet. got them. Katsafet or something, something, an incentive. Second of all, he gave them a scare. He told them, listen, if you don't, if it doesn't come out good, if you mess up, there's 
not observant Jews over here, and it's going to be a tremendous chilul Hashem. If you succeed, it will be a tremendous kiddush Hashem. Okay, and these are from girls. So some girls, he said, like they 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 got a panic attack, you know, just from that. But so why am I saying that? So besides an incentive, you have like kind of a a scare, a punishment over here. Okay, some uh, uh you know something to be afraid sure. of. Okay. So look what happens over here. They have the incentive. You have like kind of sort of a punishment. And then he did like this, okay? He took really hard verses in, in Chumash Vayikra, like that's talking about Korbanos, and that was the information they had to pass down, okay? So a very hard piece of information, okay? An incentive and uh, a, a warning, something to be scared of a little bit. And that goes along with the lines that are, there were also a group of serious people. Okay, so how much do you think will that bring up the percentage higher? Yeah, definitely. I, I don't know if it would bring it up to a hundred percent, but probably I would say at least nine or ten out of the twelve groups got it right. Okay, you're saying it will be statistically will bring bring a little bit higher than fifty, sixty percent, maybe. Even yeah, 70%. probably go up to like seventy-eight, okay. but not hundred, but not hundred. Okay, so they they start the experiment, and there's like let's say twelve lines of like of 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 10 girls each or whatever it is, a large group. And they're, they're, the counselors were supposed to give to the first uh, first girls on the line of every 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 row, right? The first one was supposed to give them the information. Now, Rabbi Kalman added another element. He says, when you give down the information, you don't just like the, the first one will give it to the second one, second to the third. No, you stop. After you give it to the first ones, they need to go back to the counselors and repeat what they heard. Okay? They get basically tested by the person that gave them the information to repeat back and so on. It's going to have to continue. When number one tells number two, okay, the piece of information, then number two needs to go back to number one, tell him, repeat what he just heard. After he said everything, that according to number one sounds accurate to him, puts her hands on, on her head and he gives her smicha. <laughs> you see where this is going already, right? And he gives her a smicha. He says, I, uh, I, uh, I, you, I approve you that you could pass down this piece of information. And what if the information was wrong? So he's going to say, that's not what I said. So you see it's correcting. He's We, we added a, a, in the system now something that's, uh, will be will try to correct any potential error, right? Because if number one, if number two is going back to number one and repeating what number one just told him, her, right? So now, if it's if if number two got it wrong, got what are the words wrong or something like that? So number one is going to tell him, no, 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 it's not what I said. I said so and so. And so number two is going to say, ah, okay. So say it again. So you said so and so and so and so and so and so and so. And then when it was all said accurate, then number two, well, number one will turn to number two and say, perfect, you can pass it to number three. Number two goes to number three, says all the information, then number three needs to go back to number two, okay, and repeat everything he just heard, okay? And then number two tells the number three, beautiful, you said it right. Will that bring up the percentage of, of accuracy? Uh, of course, it would. Pop it up to 100%. You think it would be, bring it to 100%? Yeah. Because you're 
making sure each time before you pass it on to the next one that you got it right. Right. So you have within the system already something that's correcting potential errors. Yeah. Right? Isn't that sound much better? You're saying it might be 100% already. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't see why it would be wrong. Let's say still mistakes could happen. You know, maybe uh, after all, in between when he started repeating it, maybe he still got it wrong. After he repeated, uh, you know, he he missed. A, I know it's much better, right? But let's yeah, say maybe it, there would be one or two words total out of all the groups that changed. Oh, but. okay. But but you're saying still, it, but it brought it up incredibly. You think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ninety five okay. and up. For okay. Sure. Wait, that's not the end. Besides that, Rabbi Kelman added another element. Okay, so Rabbi Kelman is is doing all this. He's putting all these um, methods into this game into this telephone game and imagine you add this another thing okay when the counselors all give it to number ones so all the number ones of the roles right all the number ones now they heard the same piece of information right from the counselors you take all the number before number ones pass it to number two okay you take all the number ones out of the room you bring them into a conference room on the side and they all sit together. Okay. Let's say there's 12 number ones there, right? We said there's 12, 12 lines. 12 number ones are sitting all in the room. Okay, Raboisai, what did we hear? What did we? What is that piece of information that we just heard from our counselors? So they're all going to start to speak out. Each one says, we heard so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. All the number ones are talking about, what did they hear? Let's say... Let's say you said that maybe one or two words by the number ones might be wrong. What do you do then? If most of the number ones are saying one thing and two out of the num- out of the 12 guys of uh, girls in the room said something wrong, what are we going to do? We're going to correct it by the majority. Right? Here's another system that's put in that all the number ones will sit together and let's talk out and let's make sure we all got the same information. And if some of them got it wrong, no problem. We're going to correct it with the majority. It makes sense, right? The majority will correct the, those errors because it makes sense that the majority heard the accurate thing and the minority that's wrong will be corrected. Okay, so once we corrected it with the majority, right, you know, taking away any any chance that, and we bring back all the number ones. Number ones, pass the number two, do the whole smicha system and everything, right? And then once the number twos all know the information, all the number twos leave the room. They also sit in the conference room. What did we hear? If there's any mistakes there, they're going to correct it with the majority. Imagine you add that in. Okay, now we're 100%. Now you're 100%, huh? Yeah. It's, it's crazy, right? Good. And it goes on. It doesn't end. Imagine. This Rabbi Kelman, I think, didn't do. I think he did so far as this, okay? But there's obviously more things that you can, you can add in. Imagine every number one, no, because like, it was a lot of information, everything, I'll imagine they would take notes, like notes to re- remember what they said, uh, notes to remind them of different chapters, different parts of it, right? Notes. Imagine they would take notes. To remind him, each and every one of them would actually write notes to help him remember and pass it down. Would it also bring up the numbers? 
Yep. I don't know where you'd go higher from 100. But exactly. I'm saying if it's just one sentence, then yeah, you know, even the... No, but he brought a few yeah. verses. He brought a nice right, piece of information. if you bring a whole p- long information, now you need to piece it out. Yeah, right. We just sat and we just discussed and we fixed the two words. But even that half a minute going back on stage and telling it over to the next person, you might, you know, one or two words still get mixed up. Saying if it's a whole long thing, it was just one sentence. No, I'm talking about uh, he gave him a few verses. It was it was right. a nice. So piece if it's of like a whole long uh, no. sentence or story, then then taking notes is I mean is, impo- is, is even adding it. But but don't yeah. forget, even if even if it's a lot of information, so it's just going to take more time. Yeah, to work out the experiment. But we're not going to sit in the in the conference room. Each one needs to spell out the whole thing. Yeah. Okay, so it's just going to take more time if it's more information. Basically, to make a long story short, Rabbi Kelman ran the experiment. It took him hours. I think it was like three hours to run this whole experiment to do it like mamash. Guess what the results were at the end when he collected all the information from the last girls on the line. What, with taking notes or? I think it was it was without taking notes. They just passed it down orally. Okay? Without pa- discussing it before. With, they did. Each one had to go back. Each one had all the number ones, number twos had to leave to the conference room. All that he did. Okay. Without even the notes. Okay. Probably with the notes, it wouldn't be even fair because it was a few verses, right? Um, but he did it without the notes. Okay. Guess what the results were? 100% accurate. Now, what does that have to do with, if you didn't get it, the ref, the nimshal, <laughs> the the parable that was the mushal till now, the Rabbi Kelman's experiment. So to make a very long story short, again, this can go into a lot of, a lot of details, but very briefly and generally speaking, that system is the system that we use to pass down information. We don't just pass down information, blah, 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 just speak it up. We have a system with the Torah. Hashem gave us a system that's part of the rule, by the way. It's part of the rule of the Torah is that a system of passing down information. In short, in in, in one word, we basically, it's a telephone, but we corrected the telephone game. It's a corrected telephone game. It's not a broken telephone game. It's a perfectly designed telephone game that that has a system within itself to 100% uh, bring down information accurately. And it's proven itself. And For to example, always fix any possible potential problems. Exactly. The system corrects itself all the time. Very briefly, again, we cannot go then, so, and our, I know our time is up also. Um, first of all, it was given to a serious group of people, right? It was not given to anyone the Torah. It was given to the Zakani, right? The very, very, you know, people, you know, little kids, you know what I mean? It was, first of all, to serious people. Second of all, the Torah is full of incentives, right? What will happen to you? You'll get close to God. You're Olam Haba. You're going to get result. You're going to get schar, right? And so on. Incentives, there are they. There's also punishment element over there, right? If you don't keep the, the information accurate, you'll be punished, so on, so on, so There's endless of psukim warning us about it. And then you have the smicha. This is something like we all should pay attention to. A po- you cannot, paskin, you cannot become a posik unless a posik made you a posik, right? That's the smicha program. 
What is a smicha by Jews? You cannot just become a rabbi. Only someone that uh, uh, that was uh, somech, that was uh, given permission to become a posik, and that posik also got permission from a posik all the way to Moshe Rabbeinu. We don't have today a posik that doesn't have a straight, direct line. It's incredible. Of rabbi after rabbi after rabbi that was giving over the rishus, the permission, the smicha. He was so mechiyado, given permission to have the power to, to give over information. Okay? You need, to, in order to become a posik, you need to learn, today we have the smicha, right, for Rabbanud and everything. You need to learn and be tested by people by the number one, if you want to become a number two, you need to be tested by number one, by the pe- person giving over the information to give you like a, a, a license to be a person that has a res- has permission to give over information. And then we had the majority. Remember we spoke about the majority? Yeah. That was the Sanhedrin. Unfortunately, we lost that from the Khurban, after the Khurban Ba'is. But what was the Sanhedrin designed for? All these matikya shmua. All these people that were passing that information all the way from Moshe Rabbeinu would come together, sit in the Lishkas Agazis, right? They would sit in the Beis Amikdash. They had the 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 basin, the big basin of the seventy-one, right? What were they busy busy doing there? They're all sitting down and correcting any errors that can come. When everyone is speaking out his information, right, and said, "I heard like this," "I heard like this," let's say, and he says something else, well. You know how I'm going to correct it, and I know it still keep on going correct correctly. By the majority, we're going to go. We're going to keep on going. We're going to do the halacha lemaisa by the majority, and not by the minority. Okay, so that's another system of basedin that we would always another way, another extra thing to prevent any errors to happen. Again, this but is like, very. It's not possible that a lot of people would get mixed up and then. Like the majority would be the wrong opinion. That doesn't happen. It, ca- it can. It's how does that happen? How, how does that happen? I mean, you always have. Uh, uh, if you're always busy doing the system, so it won't be so, become so big. You see, you know why there. Uh, you know, I said I'm going to explain why there's a difference between Sephardi and Ashkenazi, and that's going to also answer what you're saying. You know why there's a difference between Ashkenazi? First of all, there's no difference between Ashkenazi and Sephardi and like hardcore there arises stuff, right? There's no difference between Ashkenazi and Sephardi if um, if you, uh, nah, you keep Shabbos or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The difference is in Minhagim and things that happened later. You know why? Because we didn't have what I call, I just call it the the cutting system. Meaning because we spread, the Jews spread to um to your to the European countries and to the Middle East countries, and we had no communication with each other. Unfortunately, we didn't have one basin. When when we were in Eretz Yisrael, we had one basin that's constantly correcting any mistakes that can happen. That's number one, and dealing with new things that happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Once these the two Middle Eastern Jews and the European Jews were separated, they had their own basin, their own basins, right? Their own correcting systems. That's why. We that's all the differences came from there, is because before that situation that Jews were separated, the, there was one cutting system for anything, anything new that came in or any mistake to correct, right? But once 
uh, we, we were separate, so each one had his own basin, his own correcting systems, so that's why you had differences. See that? But it's only in minhagim, obviously, only in, in customs, like such as a kitnius is the easiest part. In Europe, there was a chashash that they used to have flour uh, where the rice was, right? So when you go and you cook it, you're gonna, you might come to chametz, okay? The Sephardim, they did that, the, the reality wasn't, they didn't need to deal with it, right? So they didn't have that minug uh, uh, put in. So you see, they didn't. They had different situations, and the Bastins and the Poiskim in those generations had to deal with, with other things, and that's where you have the differences. However, it has nothing to do with Machlokas. What is Machlokas? I have to end up with this. Very important, because everyone's going to ask, the, remember the question at the beginning, why does it need to be oral? And what is write mach- it down? You told us write everything down. Yom Shabbos, so and the Chumash also write how to keep Shabbos. Brilliant. And the second thing that we have to just I want to add in is machlokas. What is machlokas? Okay. And here we go. So number one, why was it? Why wasn't everything written down? So first of all, that would be a lot of books. Just kidding. Yeah, but that's not the reason. Tell me, universities, right? They have teachers, right? Why do we need teachers? Let's just make university should be one big library, okay, with books. And everyone comes in, reads all the information that you need to know about physics, about anything. We write everything down in books. You come, you sit in the library, and you, after a few years, you come out fully educated. Why do they have classes by teachers? Everyone understands that there is something, the tool of saying something orally, using our speech, our our, our, our mouth. And, you know, when I'm speaking right now, even when you're listening now to this podcast, it's not enough. When, if you would see me speak, the level of understanding goes much higher because you have also visuals. You see how my face is moving with sound. It's incredible. There's a whole thing about it. Then in sound, you also like kind of hear my face, you hear my motions and, you know, you know, you could tell a little bit, you know, kind of my faces and emotions just from sound, but that's not enough. Imagine when you see a person, you have a lot more understanding. Let's, you know, because sometimes there's those subtle, tiny things that are only could be given by a visual teacher. Yeah. And also like you own, you don't even notice it. It's all subconscious, but, exactly. but, it's, but it's there. Exactly. A teacher, when you teach something orally, let's say I want to put emphasis on that point. So when you're reading in the book, it says emphasis on that point. But when I said it, emphasis on that point. In the tone of the voice is so much saying it exciting, saying it slow, saying it sad, saying it happy. Those things you cannot bring in written down. There is so much more that's given down when it's given orally. Okay? So that's why Hashem wanted to give it in order for it to keep it accurate. So we get fully, fully, everything we got from Moshe Rabbeinu had to be passed down. We really only wanted to, we would rather the whole thing should be about, but because that's the best way of giving down information. It's the most risky way, but it's the best way. So in writing, Hashem put kind of like the core, the essence. The essence of the Torah are the written Torah. Everything comes from there. Everything is based on that. There is nothing, mark my word, there is nothing in the oral Torah that's not based on the written. It, the source of all the oral is in the written. So you need to have the written to make sure that you always, that that's the source and you're not going off the source. That's what happened with reform. That's what happened with the tzdukim, the baitusim. They went so off when they started taking and 
orally, quote unquote, do whatever they want. It's very unfortunate that, yeah, the, the people that fought the most against the oral Torah actually Jews. Yeah. You don't have, you don't have so much going, like, you know, most of them say, nah, we don't believe in it, we don't. But the people that actually fought against the oral Torah, I mean, that's how also part of the roots of Christianity. Um, started by Jews, going against rabbis. Yeah, I think the reason for that is because for a non-Jew, like, what does he care if it's true? Like, he's a non-Jew. I don't need to keep what it says. So, like, it's not demanding anything from him. So, like, whatever. Okay, so like, let's just believe it. Why get them to, like, go find reasons why, oh, no, it's not true because, like, kind of yeah. like, uh, who cares type right. of thing. Right. But for a Jew, you know, he doesn't want to believe that it's right. true because if he believes that it's true, then, okay, now you need to go do everything that's it's in obligating. there. But so that's why he's going to go out of his way to find ways like, oh, that is not true this way like oh it's not true so great i don't need to do anything that it says there 100%. you know because it's like if he believes it's true it's very demanding very true point yeah. very true point we'll just end up we'll just end up with um talking about machlokas and we have to mention it over here what is a machlokas okay so a lot of people think it's an argument to tanaim to amaraim whatever two rabbis are arguing and he's saying no it's day today no it's night it's day it's night that's not machlokis. Machlokis comes from the word chelik, a portion, a part. Okay. Machlokisim didn't like come later on. We had machlokisim all the way at the beginning. When Hashem gave the Torah from the first rabbis uh, receiving the oral Torah starting to be passed down, we had machlokisim. The, to explain machlokis, like we said, as a chalik, as a portion, Hashem purposely put in things. When part of what Hashem said, it could be viewed, like we say, shivim panim la Torah. There's 70 ways to see the, the Torah, meaning shivim meaning, means a lot. Hashem could say something, and there's one way to look at it, and there's another way to look at it, and another way to look at it. It sounds like you look at like a chandelier with a bunch of crystals and you see like a bunch of tiny, like a uh, like bunch of colors. Like right, the clear, green and the red because green, it breaks red, down, the light blue, breaks. Blue, yeah. Right. Right. So, so that's that's a nice parable for Machlokas. Machlokas is different parts of that same source of light, that same word of God. There's a... There's one dimension to it. There's another part to it. There's two different parts to it and or like more. Each person sees it in a different way, but we're still looking at the same thing. Right. And this is very important to mention. There's no posik in the world that paskins something based on his feeling. That's that's reform, right? You don't, you don't paskin something based on your feeling. You pass it only based on your tradition. Now, you can do ad chidushim later on, meaning that you add this part with that part and that part and some nice beautiful salad came out, but you're not making anything of the source, any new words of God. That's actually an Isra in the Torah. Baltos, if you're not allowed to add on the Torah, um, especially in Pesach, if you want to add a, a Chiddush in Pesach, a new thing, you were talking about microwaves. You only can do it if you know the whole entire rest of the Torah. That was given from Moshe Rabbeinu. Meaning you're basing any further information, any Chiddush that you come up, any beautiful light that you want to add, only based on what Moshe Rabbeinu gave originally. Meaning, Ramosha Feinstein, when he had a, he had the paskin about whatever, microwave, whatever, he opened, opened a Grismosha, so many incredible modern questions. Every answer that he answered, 
He held the whole entire Torah in his head. You only have that power if you know the whole entire Torah. Then you know you're not contradicting yourself. Look, Ramosha brings up Psach. He says, well, in the Gemara Brachas, it says this. All you're going to ask from the Gemara Nivamis, well, it says in the Pesach that there, Hashem could have came and just gave us the Torah and just do it. But Hashem wanted the Torah to be part. We should have a part in the Torah. Hashem is giving us the Torah. He's not like, it's not a doctor. Go, do what I told you, and that's all. Shut your brain. No. Hashem did it in a way that he's going to create Machalki. He's, he's saying ways that you can ca- take a part to hear. Of course, again, this is saying it very clearly, not to turn into reform, is only based on what, what was passed down from Moshe Rabbeinu. Only if it's based on that. But Hashem gave the permission for you to see this in it and that in it and this in it and that in it as long as it's based well. And then the Torah is part of you. Once the Torah is part of you, then then we really receive the Torah. It's not that just thing thrown upon us and and we we do it. We just go and do it. No, we have a part in Asher Nostan Lano Torah SMS. And that concludes this whole beautiful idea of the oral Torah. How do we know that there is an oral Torah? How do you know it's accurate? The system itself is an incredible thousand percent corrected system within itself. It's proven. And and um, this idea of why it was given orally, it's because that's the best way to pass down information. And machlokis is in there for a purpose, designed for purpose, for us to have a part in the Torah, but of course, as long as it's based on the original information. Thank you very much for listening. It was an incredible journey. I know it's a lot of information packed in, and there's obviously, as you realize, there's more depth in every one of those parts, a lot, a lot of information. But as long as we can hold this foundation of appreciate the oral tobe, what we have, we should start dancing. Yep. Thank you very much, Rabbi. Thank you very much for listening, and we will be back next week. So that is it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you were able to learn something new. I definitely did. If you enjoyed today's episode, let a friend know, subscribe, and leave a comment. Thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful day. We will be back next week.